the Integrated Schools Podcast. I'm Andrew, a white dad from Denver, and Courtney is off preparing for our next season of episodes coming in the fall, but we didn't want you to forget about us, so we thought we'd bring you a few special episodes over the summer. Now, obviously, we aren't the only people talking about school integration, and we're not even the only people podcasting about it, so we thought it'd be cool to share some of our favorite podcasts with you. These are podcasts that look at the issue of segregation from from different perspectives and have certainly helped shape our thinking on many of these issues, and uh, we're very grateful to their creators for uh, letting us share them with you, so... Uh, One of the comments we've heard from many of you is that we should include the perspectives of students in this podcast, and we're definitely working on that for a future episode. But in the meantime, we are thrilled to share the Miseducation podcast with you. This is a podcast from New York City uh, produced with staff help by a team of high school interns, and it features the voices of students driven by what the students see as they navigate what is the most segregated public school system in the country. So um, thrilled to get the chance to sit down with the creators of that podcast and uh why don't you guys introduce yourselves hi my name is tyler mcgraw i'm a co-founder of an organization called the bell um, and we produce the miseducation podcast hi my name is sabrina duqueney and i am the co-host of the miseducation podcast um hello my name is Catherine sanchez i'm a current intern at the miseducation podcast sabrina can you tell us a little bit about the miseducation podcast yeah, so um, the Miss Education podcast is a student-led and student-run podcast that explores inequity um, and inequality in New York City um, high schools. The podcast gives students a chance to, you know, be the drivers of their own education, and it gives them a platform to speak on various issues that they face. So, Taylor, you said the Bell produces the Miss Education podcast. Can you tell us a little more about what the Bell is? Yeah, so. The, the Bell is the umbrella nonprofit organization that I co-founded um, with my buddy Adrian. And we have two programs, the Miseducation Podcast and Teens Take Charge. Uh, the podcast, as you've heard, is, is journalistic. It's um, students telling stories to inform listeners about the realities of the school system uh, through the voices of students. Because, frankly, like uh, adults tend to not always tell the, the full truth. Um, they have they have various incentives. And so um, we, we try to cut through that and get straight to the story. And then Teens Take Charge kind of picks up where the podcast leaves off and, and moves from storytelling to like action. And so the, the group is high school students uh, from different high schools across the city. It's very diverse. And they essentially lead advocacy campaigns um, to try to improve the conditions and, and make the schools more equitable. Um, the issue that they're currently fighting for right now is the integration of New York City high schools, um, which, you know, for those of you who, who aren't from New York City or don't know much about this school system, uh, it is one of the most segregated in the country. Uh, even though it is extremely diverse. And Catherine is one of your interns. Can you tell us a little bit about the internship? Yeah, we started the internship in spring of 2018. Um, And so now uh, Catherine is part of our our second intern cohort. Our ambition is to have interns every semester uh, and for that cohort of eight students to produce a full season, um, which is going to be really exciting. Yeah. And Catherine, why did you want to get involved in this? 
fun fact. I was on the podcast before I joined as an intern. Um, also, I had taken part in Teens Take Charge for a little bit, and I was, you know, well acquainted, I think, with the Bell and Taylor. And I was, like, really excited about all of the work that they were doing around, like, education, inequality. And I wanted to, like, take part in that in a more, like, concrete way that combined, like, my interest in writing and media and all of that. And, like, I've learned, like, so much. So it's been great. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, today, we're going to hear a bit of your story, Three Stops on the A-Line. Sabrina, can you tell us how that came to be? Yeah. So pretty much, you know, uh, Taylor and I got the chance to interview two students, um, Coco and Basiri, who you'd be hearing on the episode. And we pretty much got the chance to learn about their high school experiences and more specifically the disparities um, between those high schools. These schools not so far apart um, are so, so different. Um, in their resources, um, in their, um, you know, the demographics as well. Um, so it's, you know, one of the big things that we really wanted to explore because that's one of the drivers behind, um, you know, various inequities um, that these students face and students across the nation face. It's a great episode. Uh, very grateful to you guys for letting us rebroadcast it and for all the work you're doing. So listeners, check out the Miseducation Pod. You can go to bellvoices.org and link to it there. You can find it on all the places you get your podcasts. And now let's hear the episode. It's no secret that public schools aren't created equal. Some schools look like high school musical. Wide hallways, giant auditoriums, decorated lockers, award-winning theater programs, student clubs galore. However, other schools don't have those things. That's what we're talking about on this episode. How is it that public schools just a few miles apart look so different? And more importantly, what should we do to fix it? Taylor McGraw is a co-founder of The Bell and my awesome co-host of Miseducation, a podcast about inequality in New York City high schools from those who know the system best, students. My more awesome co-host, Sabrina Duqueney, is a recent graduate of Brooklyn College Academy High School, now a freshman at Stony Brook University. Go Seawolves! To break down this issue, we brought in two students who have had very different educational experiences. I'm Coco, Coco Rum. I live in Park Slope in Brooklyn. Coco is thin with short brown hair and bangs. She's quick to smile, talks with her hands, and always seems to be wearing funky colors that shine as bright as her personality. It's a really, really gorgeous neighborhood. It is very gentrified. I mean, it continues to get more and more and more expensive. Um, Basiri Daikiti. Um, I grew up in um, Lincoln Projects in Harlem. Basiri is tall, thoughtful, and soft-spoken. He's dressed in a dark suit because he's coming from an internship at a bank. It's not the greatest neighborhood, obviously. There's, there's a multitude of issues with it that needs to be addressed, but it's still um, very, uh, very much like home to me. When I was five, I want to say, my mom like took me to an audition in Bay Ridge. She didn't tell me it was an audition. She was like, we're just going to go try something fun. Um, so they like lift your leg up above your head to see like how flexible you are, whatever. <laughs> so I got into that ballet school and then ballet like really became a huge part of my life. My mom didn't really like me going out outside because my mom is an immigrant from West Africa. So she also has like a lot of stigmas about the community. So I would just like 
stay inside or I would like go outside in the hallway and play with my friends since it was like a fairly large hallway. And every Saturday, Sunday, we would just play a game called Manhunt where everybody would just hide in different floors in the building in random spots and people would just have to go find them. Coco is white, Basiri is black. They both went to public school in their neighborhoods. Coco said her mom moved to Park Slope for the explicit purpose of getting into a coveted elementary school zone. So I went to PS321 for elementary school. That elementary school is part of why I think Park Slope became like an area where there's such a high concentration of wealth because it was considered to be like a good public school. Teachers were so good and caring. I don't know. I have very positive memories of elementary school. I went to elementary school in my neighborhood school, CS133. It was, it was okay. I didn't have really big issues with it. I and mean, it was a tightly knit school because it was a very small school. For middle school, Coco went to MS51, one of the most sought after in the city. In fact, Mayor de Blasio's kids went there. Coco said the teachers weren't spectacular, but that the school had lots of resources and extracurricular opportunities. Most of the students were white and either middle class or affluent. The Siri went to middle school at Thurgood Marshall Academy in Central Harlem. More than half a century after Thurgood Marshall, the man, helped to desegregate schools in the Brown v. Board case. Thurgood Marshall, the school, is 98% Black and Hispanic and predominantly low income. At MS51 in Park Slope, 79% of students passed the state math test last year. At Thurgood Marshall in Harlem, that figure was just 9%. Coco and Basiri's elementary and middle school experiences, given where and how they grew up, are the norm in New York City. But when it comes to high school, students are no longer bound by their neighborhoods. They're given the freedom to apply to any school across the five boroughs. Coco took full advantage. Applying to high school is definitely on my consciousness in middle school. Like many of her peers, Coco bought practice books to study for the specialized high school admissions test, which she took in eighth grade. I went on lots of tours and... I would go with my mom or if my mom couldn't take me and I'd go with a friend's family because it wasn't just like me. It was the community that I lived in very much like this mentality of almost being like aggressive or being aware, like hyper aware or hyper involved in the process. Coco got an offer to Brooklyn Tech, a specialized high school, but turned it down in favor of Beacon, which is more competitive to get into than Harvard. For Basiri, the high school admissions process was simple. Thurgood Marshall has a middle school and high school. So it was like, it was not really like a high school process. Both my older sisters went to Thurgood Marshall Academy High School. It was pretty much set in stone when I attended the middle school that I was going to the high school. Like my mom wasn't having it. Now, Coco and Basiri are high school seniors. Beacon and Thurgood Marshall Academy are five miles apart, a 20 minute trip on the A train. But in New York City, a few subway stops can make a world of difference. So we're in like a basically brand new building. Like my class was the first class to like start there. Everything in the school is very nice. Um, Certainly like it's not unrelated to like anything about who the school is composed of. Um, But yeah, the cafeteria is gorgeous. I've been to Beacon before. From the exterior, it looks more like a luxury apartment building than a school. Seven stories flooded with natural light and state-of-the-art facilities. 
Thurgood Marshall is located in an old, iconic brick building, the former site of a historic jazz club called Small's Paradise that was once owned by basketball superstar Wilt Chamberlain and frequented by the likes of James Baldwin. We wanted to know what the schools offered beyond the typical academic schedule. So on Fridays, we have this program called Bond, which stands for Brothers in a New Direction, and it's for um, the men or the boys in our school that probably don't really have like a uh, you know a father figure at home or like a father figure in their communities and four teachers in our schools basically just come and they try to mentor the students but outside of that we don't really have any programs after school none that I can think of right now yeah no programs after school no clubs there's stuff going on every single day after school multiple options um model congress student government Math Club, Beacon Inc., which is like our our literary magazine, the Beacon Beat, which is school newspaper. Um, like there's a BSU, an ASU, um, or like Black Student Union, Muslim Student Union, Latinx Student Union, Be Queer, Be Dat, which is like after school drama, photo club, film club, probably. So we have a basketball team, and we have a lacrosse, but for any for um. Um, girls, women's lacrosse. No, not lacrosse. I don't know why I said lacrosse. Batman. So women's Batman. For boys and girls, we have basketball, like baseball and softball, um, soccer, bowling. <laughs> Sorry, I love the bowling team. They actually do pretty well. Tennis, um, volleyball, ultimate frisbee. I'm the captain of the girls team. Woo. Um, oh, we have track year-round. What are, like, other sports? Oh, we have fencing, boys and girls, and wrestling. Beacon and Thurgood Marshall are on opposite ends of the school performance spectrum. At Beacon, 99% of the students meet City University benchmarks for college readiness. At Thurgood Marshall, just 32%. The average SAT score at Beacon is 1191. Compared to just 863 at Thurgood Marshall. Of course, as research shows us, these stats tell us more about the income of the families in these schools than anything else. That's right. At Beacon, just one in four students qualifies for free or reduced price lunch, which is a measure of economic need. But at Thurgood Marshall, three in four students qualify. Thurgood Marshall also has twice the proportion of students with special needs, and a majority of its students enter the high school below grade level. It's so complicated. There's a lot of factors that that go into, you know, why... We're not doing as well as we should be doing after school. Where do we go? We don't go anywhere. We just sit sit around. We don't do anything, like anything really, really productive, or like um, just 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 like the atmosphere in the school is very different compared to um, you know, a school where where you know you have like a strong household or like a strong community or like um, healthy food options or it's just like a lot of factors that need to be put into consideration when we're talking about you know resources as well as um, performance. I think like there's definitely like almost an entitlement among like White Beacon to the resources that we have and like a lack of awareness about like, hey, like (laughs) what we have in this school is very rare and it's not at all what other schools look like. And it does correlate to like our racial and socioeconomic backgrounds. The achievement and resource gaps between Beacon and Thurgood Marshall are emblematic of the rest of the 450 high school system. 
Most Black and Hispanic students are clustered in low-performing schools. Most White and Asian students are clustered in high-performing schools that have more resources. In Coco's mind, the way to bridge these gaps is clear. I think all high schools should be integrated um, across, like, not only like race, socioeconomic status, and academic performance, but also like with restorative justice and culturally responsive curriculum and representative teaching staff and, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I feel as if right now, at this point of time, it's better if we just focus on equality of funding rather than just integration for, you know, racial reasons, because um, I feel as if it, it would do more for no marginalized students. We're going to dive into this debate in just a minute. But first, I realize, you know, that I don't actually know how schools are funded and how they compare. So we called in someone who did. School funding uh, can come from any of the three big levels of government of state, local, federal. This is Zahava Stadler, policy director at EdBuild, an organization that advocates for common sense K-12 education funding. Nationally, here's the breakdown. A little less than half from the state level, about 46%. A little less than half from the local level, also 46%. And just that tiny sliver of that last about 8% comes from the federal government. A couple of additional notes here. The per-student allocation in New York is a little higher for students who have special needs, are below grade level, or whose first language isn't English. That's why when we discuss school funding, it's important to talk about equity as opposed to equality. Quick definition, equality, everyone gets the same. Equity, everyone gets what they need to have the same opportunity for success. So, back to Beacon and Thurgood Marshall. How does their funding compare? Well, it's not what I expected. When it's all said and done, because Thurgood Marshall serves a bunch of high-need students, it actually receives $5,000 more per student than Beacon does. So when Basiri and others say they want equal funding, their sentiment is valid, but they really mean equitable funding. And even though New York State has a formula that attempts to do that, many agree that it's still not enough. And there's one more important factor here that we haven't talked about. Parents. There's no way Beacon would have all of the arts we have or all the clubs we have or the sports we have if it weren't for the fact that like our students are predominantly wealthy and therefore our parents are predominantly wealthy and give us money. Like, the PA budget is ridiculous. I mean, like, it's a crazy amount of money. The Beacon Parent Association's fundraising goal for this year? $415,000. According to the Beacon PA website, that money supports a lot of the club's sports programs and classroom materials that Coco described earlier, the ones that Thurgood Marshall doesn't have. Fundraising at Thurgood Marshall looks very different. Um, parents don't really like donate because of, you know, the um, the situation that, you know, we're unfortunately in. But um, we do fundraisers, like we have parties, school parties, and then like um, bake sales, but nothing like nothing too crazy. Um, a party probably weighs like around over a little, a little over 100. They do charge for, sometimes they charge for basketball games, but that doesn't really generate a lot of money either. So it's like, you probably get like $60 from a basketball game. The disparities that Coco and Basiri are describing highlight one of the main arguments that people have for why we need to integrate our schools. The government can help balance funding, but it cannot compete with the wealth and power concentrated in schools like Beacon and the advantages that come with it. 
going into junior year, our summer assignment was about school segregation and reading about it. And like even this year, like we all read Brown v. Board of Ed in history class. She hasn't been able to stop thinking about how badly we failed Brown and how we continued to like fail Brown, like over 64 years later, like our schools, New York City is still the most segregated public school system on the planet. Okay. In the country. Maybe in the planet. Probably. I don't know. You tell me. While Coco focuses on the world as it should be, Basiri keeps returning to the world as it is. Just to give you an idea of like why, what people might think of integration, yeah, they're just like, oh, well, I don't want to, I just don't want to deal with the headache of, you know, possibly getting called the N-word or like a racial slur or dealing with the hate. And that's the sort of mentality that a lot of black students may have coming into an environment that's predominantly white. Well, you just want me here so your students don't become, you know, hateful or racist and so that they're more sensitive to my culture. But um, that's that's something to think about, actually, because then it sort of goes both ways because now you have, like, black students that are like, oh, I don't want to talk to or, like, I don't want to interact with white people, which is not a good um mentality at all. All these preconceived notions that like white students might have of students of color, while they're certainly not excusable and they're not okay, I think like one of the merits of integration is like you interact with people who are different from you and preconceived notions kind of go out the window because it's not about the preconceived notions, it's about your genuine experience of other people. But as we know, those preconceived notions, biases, stereotypes, sometimes don't just go away, they show up. Case in point, we found a letter from the Beacon Parent Association sent earlier this year to the school's administration. Sabrina is going to read an excerpt. The PA's community and cultural diversity committees met during the PA meeting on March 20th, 2018. Multiple parents of Black students reported that their children had informed them that they consistently hear white students using the N-word, which is very hurtful and too prevalent for them to address on an individual basis. They also complained of a Black Lives Matter poster with the word don't written with a marker before the word matter. Muslim students have informed their parents that they hear derogatory remarks by non-Muslim students about the Muslim Student Union, suggesting that club members are terrorists. So guys, the letter goes on for a little bit, but you can read the full one on our website. I think it's, uh, I think it's remarkable that the parents actually uh, took the time to organize and discuss the issues that are prevalent in the, in the school. But in terms of, you know, the bullying and um, the racial insensitivity. Um, like I said, it's just something to be expected. Personally, this is not like something that, that I would lose sleep over, but like some of my peers, we may look at this and say, well, see, now this is why I don't want to go to school predominantly white. No, this is going to happen to me if I go here. And this is just sort of, this doesn't really help. Yeah, that like, I mean, yeah, I'm glad the parents are like doing something about it, but like, Certainly, Beacon and, like, White Beacon is bad in a lot of ways. And this is, like, an acknowledgement of that. And it should be acknowledged because it's important to, like, put it in the open. And, yeah, just acknowledge it, but not just acknowledge it. Like, go beyond acknowledging what is, like, a reality at school. And, like, it's something, like, as White Beacon, like, needs to deal with and, like, fix about itself. Even in her frustration with the world as it is, Coco still has optimism for the prospect of integration. My vision for what I would want integration to look like, I talk about it in like 
this is what it should look like mm-hmm. and this is what I'm going to fight for it to look like and fight for it to be like. And I and I also get like the totally legitimate and like based in lived experience and based in history like fears that like your peers might feel. They're valid fears. I just think that like true integration would make it not be like that. At the end of the conversation, here's what Basiri and Coco had to say to each other. I think it's remarkable that you took the time out of your day and you took you you sort of stepped out of your perspective being a white person and uh, you're able to sympathize with students that, that face different issues from you. And um, yeah, I think it's remarkable. So thank you. Well, thank you for that. But like, yeah, I also really learned a lot from you and like, listening to your experience but also just like the feelings of your peers or maybe like you feel the same way too like really appreciate that you like had that be something that we dealt with um it was really like I yeah I feel like I learned a lot from it and thank you for that Sabrina what are your takeaways from that conversation yeah Taylor um you know, as I as I listened to this conversation, I could definitely hear that tension between the world as it should be and the world as it is. And I think for many students of color, integration will often prompt questions like, what is my lived experience with white people? How does the media mm-hmm. negatively impact how they view me? You know, it's, it's the how will I relate to my white peers sort of questions? Mm-hmm. How will I maintain my... Um, authentic voice in unfamiliar spaces. So I totally get Basiri's point that integration may not have all the benefits that we want it to have unless it's paired with inclusivity training, um, culturally responsive teaching, and true social integration. You know, it's only then will the varied experiences and, and cultures in a school create a more diverse and wholesome environment that leads to the benefits that Coco actually talked about. Thanks for sharing that, Sabrina. So the conversation about school integration will certainly wage on, and it sounds like students have a lot of important things to say on that topic. In the meantime, Basiri wants his school to get the same resources that more affluent schools get, and he may have some allies. The city council passed a bill in September requiring the Department of Education to report how much money parent associations raise each year. At some schools, it exceeds a million dollars. Advocates are starting to call for that parent funding to be shared across schools. Others continue to fight for more funding from local and state government. But with 1,800 schools in this city built on decades of inequity, there's simply no easy fix. This episode was written and reported by Sabrina and me with support from Yasmin Chokrain and Zoe Markman. Miseducation is produced in partnership with editors from the Heckinger Report, and original music comes from our very own Alberto Lugo, a.k.a. DJ Synchro. We'd like to thank Coco and Basiri for sharing their stories with us. And listeners, if you guys want to join in on the conversation, send an email to miseducationpod at gmail.com or tag us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at miseducationpod. We've got more in store for you this season, so stay tuned. But for now, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you later.
Huge thanks to Taylor, Sabrina, and Catherine for allowing us to rebroadcast this awesome story and for taking the time to tell us a bit about the work you guys are doing. Be sure to subscribe to the Miseducation Podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. And check out their website, bellvoices.org, for more about both the podcast as well as Teens Take Charge. Keep an eye on your feeds over the course of the summer. We've got a few more special episodes like this, and then we'll be back in the fall with a whole new season. In the meantime, let us know what you think. Hello at integratedschools.org. We always appreciate your feedback. And as always, we're happy to be in this with you as we try to know better and do better. See you soon.